0: Let's bow in prayer. Lord, on this Sunday that we call Palm Sunday, I pray that you will help us to once again relive the grand story of the gospel, the good news about Christ. At this point in his life, he had lived righteously on earth for about 30 years. And now, Lord, was coming to that place where he would give his life as a ransom for many. There are many things going on, Lord, in that day, and it was easy to be misunderstood, to be misguided as to the main purpose of it all. But we come back to your word and find out that Jesus was focused. He knew exactly what his mission was, and he was not going to miss it. May we not miss it either in the midst of our great celebrations. So open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things out of your law, and may we be changed forever. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, let me encourage you to open to the New Testament book of John, chapter 12. John chapter 12. John chapter 12 has for us the wonderful story of what we often call the triumphal entry. But I want us to actually look at the pre-story, just prior to this wonderful coronation time for Jesus Christ, for it holds, I think, many insightful perspectives that we must embrace and understand when we come to this celebrated time of year. You'll notice in verse 1 of chapter 12, John 12, verse 1, six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany. Let's stop right there. Bethany is a small town uh, just on the opposite hillside of the Mount of Olives from the big city of Jerusalem. You have to walk a little bit west to peak the hill of the Mount of Olives from the city of Bethany and then before your view, On the other side of the Kidron Valley is this majestic site of the city of Jerusalem. Jesus had been making his way there and now he arrived just uh, the night before he was going to enter the city into this little town, this village of Bethany. He'd been there before on a number of occasions. But the last visit to Bethany was only about a month before and you can read about that story in John chapter 11, it was was an amazing visit because that's when a man by the name of Lazarus was raised from the dead. Remember that? Lazarus, a good friend of Christ, we're told in the early part of John 11, Jesus heard that he was sick, delayed his coming intentionally, and when he got there, Lazarus had already been buried for four days. One of my favorite verses out of the old King James translation is found in John chapter 11. Jesus said, let's roll back the stone and get out the body of Lazarus. And his family said, no, no, you can't do that. By this time he stinketh. And to put the word stink with the old King James it, stinketh, is just a humorous to be. But indeed, that's what everyone was afraid of until he rolled back the stone and Jesus came called Lazarus forth and raised him from the dead. You have to remember John's purpose for writing his gospel. In chapter 20 and verse 30 he says this, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in my gospel, but these miracles are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ. And by believing, you might have life in his name. That you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. His purpose is clear. He records these miracles, includes them in his story so that people might hear and believe. And that's exactly what happened when Lazarus was raised from the dead. Look at chapter 11, verse 45. Therefore many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did put their faith in him. But, verse 46, some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin, that's the ruling body of the Jews, and they said, what are we accomplishing? Here this man is performing all these miracles, and if we let him go on like this, everyone's going to believe in him. Then the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. So verse 53 says, On that day the Sanhedrin plotted to take his life. So many did believe in him, but many wanted to kill him. Thus we read that Jesus went into hiding. Verse 54, Jesus no longer moved around publicly among the Jews. He withdrew to a region just north of Jerusalem, to a little village called Ephraim, and that's probably about 10 miles north of the city, and there Jesus was in hiding. And now Jesus braves the tension and comes right into the city of Jerusalem boldly. And we read, it was Passover. This is verse 1 of chapter 12. Passover's in the spring, and it's one of the three compulsory feasts for every male who's over the age of 21. They must travel all the way to Jerusalem. So the city was packed with pilgrims. The Feast of Unleavened Bread would start the day after, after Passover and run for a whole week. So it was a week of an unbelievable festival for the Jews. No time was more nationalistic. The patriotic spirit was palpable. and Because of that, Rome feared for a revolt. They knew that there were many zealous Jews who wanted to overthrow Rome. And because of that, they drafted extra troops and brought them from Caesarea, Caesarea on the sea, all the way into Jerusalem, hoping to put down any type of riot. So the last act of the life of Jesus was played out in a cram city filled with Jewish pilgrims and Roman authorities. And we read that Jesus came into the city, verse 1, he arrived at Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. I imagine if you came into the city of Bethany, you would see these civic signs on the road, you know, you've seen them before, home of uh, champion baseball team or whatever it might be. I imagine Bethany had put up a sign, home of Lazarus, the living dead guy. And he was an attraction. Uh, You can imagine that he would be an attraction. In fact if you uh, jump down to uh, verse 9 it says meanwhile a large crowd of jews found out that jesus was there and they came to the little village of bethany not only because of jesus but also to see the living dead guy lazarus whom he had raised from the dead so that becomes the major theme of this entire section in fact after what we celebrate on palm sunday the triumphal entry into jerusalem which begins in verse 12 look down at verse 16 or verse 17 the crowd that was with him when he called lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word many people because they had heard that he had given this miraculous sign went out to meet him and still the pharisees said to one another look at we're getting nowhere the whole world has gone after him can't you sense the further fervor at least a quarter of a million people have come into the city of jerusalem some people say maybe even over two million people are added to about the 40 or fifty thousand that already live there and the place is jammed with emotion and most of it is hey i want to see the guy who performed the miracle and raise Lazarus from the dead. What we don't realize is Lazarus was probably marching with Jesus into the city on the day we call Palm Sunday. And there's a big group of the people that were there, thrilled and excited. Man, if he can do this, he can do anything. Let's make him our king. This is coronation day. And so they're waving the palm fronds, saying, Hosanna in the highest. Lord, save us now. But before the entry into Jerusalem, there was a supper, an appreciation dinner the night before. It was in Bethany at the home of Mary and Martha, verse 2. In Bethany there was a dinner given in Jesus' honor. Mary served, or Martha served, which of course you would expect. And while Lazarus, he was among the guests. (laughs) who sat reclining at the table eating with Jesus. This was an appreciation dinner. Reclining means that it was something of a formal dinner. Maybe neighbors were invited in as well. And here's Jesus, Mary and Martha, and Lazarus is eating. Can you imagine the conversation around the table? People looking at Lazarus saying, man, you look a lot better than last time I saw you what you been up to oh I've been dead (laughs) live again by the way this is a bit of a, a faint type of the coming marriage supper of the lamb where Jesus sits down with those that he brought back from death to life all the believers and we're getting a foretaste of that now it was customary at a feast like this to wash the feet of the guests who would come That always happened, people had dirty feet when they walked through the dusty streets. Now in the very next chapter, in John 13, Jesus is going to have the Last Supper with the disciples and no one wants to wash the feet. So Jesus gets up and do it, but here someone is willing to do it. Customary to anoint the feet with not only water to clean them but a few drops of oil to uh, purify them and simply to make them smell good and so that's exactly what Mary is going to do. And I want you to notice first of all in this amazing story the devotion of Mary. Mary is indeed a host along with her sister Martha and Lazarus but Mary is the one who gets up. She takes about a pint of pure nard which is a very expensive perfume. It's a perfume imported from India and expensive because of the process used in making it and pure in the sense that it wasn't mixed with water to dilute it in any way. In verse 5 we read, this is worth a year's wages. Would you even own perfume that's worth a year's wages? That's why some people believe that maybe this was actually something like a family, priceless family heirloom. Maybe it was also her retirement plan, her 401K. Uh, People would invest in those things that are wealthy and set them aside and protect them so that they could cash them in later on when needed. We don't know. All of that is speculation. But we do know that this was indeed expensive and costly And a full pint of it. We're told in Mark's gospel that she broke the narrow neck of this alabaster jar so that it could never be used again and poured all of the contents out. Not a drop or two on the feet of Jesus, which was customary, but poured the whole thing on his feet and then wiped her feet with her hair. This was inappropriate. For a woman was supposed to put her hair up and never let it down except in the presence of her husband. So she was extravagant in her devotion, in her action, as well as almost a bit inappropriate, at least in the eyes of some. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. A little bit went a long way, a lot of bit filled the house. And you couldn't get away from the smell as it permeated every nook and cranny and I'm sure even went outside. This was a tremendous act of devotion. Notice the extravagance of her love. It's as fervent as anything else found anywhere in all the Scripture. Her action is over the top. In a male-dominated society, this devotion from a woman puts all the men to shame. You can imagine that when she did this, others felt embarrassed (laughs) because when someone displays great devotion to Jesus Christ. The rest of us who feel shamed get angry, upset with the person. But notice the action of Mary. What was her motive? Well, the most simple of motives is this. Her brother, Lazarus, was alive. What will you do for gratitude? What will you do out of gratitude? It depends on how much you have been blessed. To whom much is given, much is required. Those who are forgiven little, love little. Those who are forgiven much, love much. She sensed, I'm sure in her heart, that this act of Christ was indeed over the top, so the only appropriate devotion was over the top. I'm sure she was thankful that Jesus was her savior That Jesus was her Lord and now Jesus was the one who brought her brother back from the dead notice the devotion of Mary it puts many of us to shame but then notice what happened next we'll call this the objection of Judas we read one of the disciples verse 4 Judas Iscariot who was later to betray Jesus, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. I don't know if he said that or that's just commentary that John puts in. But we read in verse 6, he didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As a keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in and there's a little bit of humor here in the original because the greek word simply means he lifted the bag but could also mean he lifted from the bag which indeed shows that he was in charge of the money box and pilfering from it at the same time that to me is amazing in mark's gospel of this account which is chapter 14 other disciples are indicted not just Judas but he was the spokesman in fact Mark says some of those present were saying indignantly to one another why this waste of perfume it could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor and they rebuked her harshly that word rebuke is the word that means the snorting of a horse can't you see them snorting out there this is horrible This is unbelievable. Why should... And Judas was the spokesman. His speech is a verbal rebuke in front of everyone. By the way, those who seek to do good in the name of Christ need to be prepared for those who will oppose. There There will be people who oppose your activity and question your motives and charge you with neglect of other Christian duties, like giving to the poor. <laughs> By the way, there were a lot of poor in Jerusalem at that time. The place was filled with them, needing, in need of food and shelter. And it was customary during the Passover to give gifts to the poor, much like we will give gifts during the Christmas season to those who are in need. And some people will feel that anything you do for Jesus that's over the top is a waste. Yeah, have a little bit of religion but don't get too excited about giving your life to Jesus and your resources because it's not worth it. There are real needs in this world that you should be focused on. Criticism often tells more about the critic than the victim. And we learn a lot about Judas. What was his motive? Greed verse 6 he was a thief by the way in just 10 days he's going to sell Jesus for the price of a common slave 30 pieces of silver not even a third of what this perfume is worth I'm sure Judas was critical because of greed a cold heart always is connected with a stingy hand And ambition and greed, well, you'll do almost anything for some money. This is the reason many people even leave the cause of Christ and stray from following the Scripture. Because of temporal things, money. Why, Judas could not tell the difference between grace and waste. And he criticized harshly. Judas is the one who saw the blind man healed just before Jesus got to Bethany. He saw the miracles. He saw Lazarus raised from the dead and still was willing to rebuke Mary for such devotion. It's no wonder that the love of money is called the root of all evil. It's not that money is evil, but it's the love of it that will cause you to do almost anything, even betray the Son of God. So Judas, Judas rebukes Mary with strong words, and the other disciples, I'm sure, were chiming in. And Judas is going to discover too late, isn't he, that some things cost too much, like giving up Jesus for a few pennies. But here's the neat thing about this story, the response of Jesus, the commendation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Dear saint, when you do something in the name of Christ, understand this, Jesus has your back and he will praise, he will vindicate. Perhaps nowhere in all the gospel does Jesus give a stronger commendation than what we read for Mary. Leave her alone, he says in verse 7. Mark's gospel adds, stop bothering her. Get off her case. It was intended that she should save this perfume for my burial. You'll always have the poor with me, or you'll always have the poor among you, but you'll not always have me. Mark tells us she added, actually said a few other things. Leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? Or Stop bothering her. She's done a beautiful thing to me. That's what Jesus says of this act. It's a beautiful thing. By the way, there are two Greek words that could be used to, to, try, to describe the word good. One is morally good, but the word that means good in the sense of lovely, or beautiful is the word that is used here. Now, this was a morally good thing to do indeed, but Jesus says, isn't this beautiful? Doesn't this have a sense of loveliness to it? Jesus, get this, Jesus is defending her impractical use of perfume. Her deep devotion has a certain extravagance to it, and Jesus says, I love this this is beautiful now those of you who are extremely utilitarian and practical have a rough time with this but those of you who are artistic say amen it's almost like Jesus is, is conferring his blessing upon what you do Kent Hughes put it this way if you're an artist or a musician you can find affirmation in knowing that Jesus aligns himself with you by praising Mary's non productive act of devotion. Although I wouldn't call music non productive. But the artist who draws the beautiful painting, and we say, why waste your time? Jesus is worth it. And that's why we've got to be careful, even when we build a place of worship, that we're not all about utilitarian and we forget beauty. Now, I think a cathedral forgets practicality. But there's a happy medium somewhere in between. Her gratitude for the past motivated her to pour out her security for the future. In this amazing display like the psalmist who says in Psalm 166 verse 12 how can I repay the Lord for all his goodness to me so her devotion is beautiful secondly her devotion is impactful did you notice it says in verse 3 that this perfume filled the house Nothing resurrects a forgotten memory like perfume. And I'm sure John, the rest of his life, or all the disciples for that matter, the rest of their life, whenever they would walk down the street and the perfumer was making some perfume and maybe he was working on this same perfume coming from the extract found only in India, that immediately his mind went back to that night before The triumphal entry when Mary poured all the perfume out on the floor. And all the disciples thought it was a bad idea. But Judas spoke up and rebuked Mary. And Jesus said, get off her case. (laughs) What she did is beautiful. And what she did is impactful. Perfume is invisible, but it's unforgettable. You never know how your devotion to Jesus will affect others. But it always does. I like what it says in 2 Corinthians 2.15. For we are God's aroma. We're the aroma of Christ. For the sake of God among those who are being saved and those who are being lost. To the one we are the smell of death. And to the other the fragrance of life. Did you know that your Christian life smells? To some, it's the smell of death. People can't stand being around you because of Jesus. At least I hope that's what it is. Sometimes we stink because of our lousy testimony. Sometimes our activities are nauseating. But sometimes people cannot stand the message we share and the life we live, and it is to them the smell of death. But to others, it's the fragrance of life. Don't you like to be around godly, gracious, good people who seem to just project the kindness of Christ? Don't you love that? Isn't that a wonderful fragrance? Wouldn't you like like your life to be unforgettable Because everywhere you go people pick up the fragrance of Jesus. In Mark's gospel we read these words, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what Mary has done will also be told as a memorial to her. It's unforgettable. You know the proof of that is in this sermon today. I'm telling you what Mary did thousands of years ago. A perpetual memory of deep-seated devotion. Now all of that fits the context so very well. It's all about a dinner of gratitude for Mary's brother Lazarus coming back from the dead. And Mary shows her devotion, I'm sure, out of love for Christ, but also because she is so thankful that her brother is alive. And after you get out of this story, it's all about Lazarus again and people wanting to see Jesus because of Lazarus and the leaders, the Jewish leaders being upset because of Lazarus. In fact, they say in verse 11, because of Lazarus, many Jews are coming to Christ so they want to kill him, verse 10. The chief priests made plans to kill him. Poor Lazarus! I just got back from the dead, and now they're trying to wipe me out. But sometimes the tide of Christian sentiment, sometimes the focus Of even good believers can be a little misguided and what you may not see is that in the words that Jesus gives to commend Mary he also corrects the thinking of believers by saying this this was intended this is verse 7 it was intended what the pouring of the ointment the perfume on my body this was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial now did mary know that i'm not sure she did we don't know if she had any idea of his impending death we do know none of the other disciples did right every time jesus told them they kept putting it off It wasn't on the forefront of their mind. No, this is all about coronation. This is coronation day. Tomorrow we're going to go into that city and there is going to be a great celebration by two million people like you wouldn't believe. And they want to honor Jesus and make him king. And Jesus says, wait a minute, you don't understand. My purpose is not coronation but crucifixion. It's not the cross, it's not the crown, it's the cross. What Mary has done, and she may not know it, and you guys don't know it, she anointed my body for burial, which is what you do for a body that dies. She's focused on the right thing. This week is about death before coronation. And I think often you and I as Christians forget that our lives are lived in a period of suffering. We expect all the blessings. In fact, some people reading this section of Scripture are saying, how come my brother isn't brought back from the dead? How come my loving spouse wasn't brought back from the dead? That's what I want to see Jesus do. Oh, is it, is it all about you? This was done so that people would realize that Jesus conquers death. And what no one's expecting is that the one who brought Lazarus back from the dead is going to die himself. Before he rises. That's the kicker. And that's the shock. I find it interesting that in the medical community, if there are efforts to resuscitate someone and it doesn't work, but somehow that person then auto-resuscitates, that's a term in the medical books, it's documented in the medical literature several times over, a spontaneous return of circulation after failed attempts to resuscitate, it's spontaneous You know what they call this? In the medical community, they call this the Lazarus Syndrome. (laughs) Except they're off. It wasn't spontaneous and auto-resuscitation. It was divine resuscitation. All of us are going to die, and the only way that we can live forever is if we know the Prince of Life, Jesus Christ. And that's the good news and the message of Palm Sunday. The message of Palm Sunday is not triumph. It's this one who raises people from the dead is going to die before the week is over. But he's the king and he will conquer death and conquer the grave and whoever puts their faith and trust in him will live forevermore. So remember this. Whatever you do for Christ is never wasted. And while you may be criticized for others, if your heart is right, God says that's beautiful. And it's going to have an impact that will be unforgettable. And remember this, the cross before the crown. Good Friday precedes Easter Sunday. And we can rejoice that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray this morning as we think through this amazing story that Mary's devotion puts us to shame but also encourages us that whatever we do for you will not be forgotten. And that you enjoy the lavish, over-the-top, indulgence of a believer who loves you. But Lord, let us also remember that your focus was clearly on your death. The fact that you died for our sins according to the scripture, then you were buried, then you rose again the third day according to the scriptures, all of that done so that what happened to Lazarus will happen to us eternally. Lord, there may be some here who have never trusted Christ as Lord and Savior. I pray today, show them that all humanity, all of us are dead in our trespasses and in our sins. But by your grace, you raise us up to life that never ends. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.